Jason preached last week. He did a great job, right? As always, he did a great job with First John chapter 5, closing out that epistle that, that, uh, that John wrote to the churches in Ephesus, dealing with uh, the primary issue of false teaching. Uh, ultimately, we know historically that's called Gnosticism, the teaching that they, that they dealt with. And the teaching basically was this, that, that everything that's physical is evil and everything that's spiritual is good. Therefore, a couple things. One, God could not have come in the form of a man. And two, what you do in the flesh is irrelevant. As long as you pursue God through a knowledge-based system, you're going to be fine. And the false teaching was was prevalent. And here's the thing, and this is my belief, and you don't pay me for my opinion, but I'm going to share this throughout the, the message, is my belief that the teaching that's permeating our churches today is just that. It's a Gnosticistic form of false teaching, because what ultimately Gnosticism does is it teaches you that you are your own savior. At the end of the day, what Gnosticism teaches you is your pursuit, your pursuit of knowledge is what allows you to be saved. And at the end of the day, that removes the need for Jesus, right? And that's what's happening in our churches today. We're just approaching it from a different perspective. And so after 1 John, John then is forced to write a second and a third letter. These were, these are by Greco-Roman standards, what is probably most like an actual letter that an individual wrote to another individual, right? 13 verses in Second John, the smallest book we have in the New Testament. Could have been, could have been filled on, on one papyrus sheet, right? One sheet of, of, of papyrus where they could have wrote one letter to this, to this church, right? And so I don't think in almost 30 years of ministry I've ever preached Second John. And I've read it. I've read it in Third John a lot. I don't think I've ever ever preached from it, um, and shame on me for that. Because what's contained in there, uh, I think, is incredibly important for you and me today. So, how many of you've ever? How many of you've heard the story of the priest and the rabbi that got into a wreck? Different than the priest and the rabbi went into a bar. Okay, not the same joke. So, a priest and a rabbi get in a terrible wreck. Terrible wreck. Both cars are are total. They're a mess. But fortunately, both the priest and the Levite, uh, a priest and the rabbi come out okay. And so they're standing on the side of the road, sort of overlooking the damage of their vehicles. And they're saying to each other how fortunate they were that they were both okay. And so they, they sort of thank the Lord for that grace of them being okay. And the rabbi noticed as he was looking down at his car, he went down to his car and he came back and he goes, and look at this. He goes, in spite of the fact that our cars are completely damaged, this bottle of wine is still perfectly intact. Obviously the Lord wants us to drink it to celebrate our good fortune. And so he takes the lid off and he hands it to the priest and the priest takes a big swig of it and he hands it back to the, re- to the, to the rabbi. The rabbi puts the lid on it and puts it back in his bag. And the priest says, aren't you going to drink any? And he says, no, I'm just going to wait for the police. <laughs> take a minute, take a minute, right? Let it, let it go down, right? He says, no, I'm just going to wait for the police, right? There are some things, there are some things we should avoid. And that's exactly what John is telling the individual church in this letter. Unlike the first letter, unlike the first epistle that John wrote, which was to a group of house churches in the Ephesus area, clearly in this letter, John is writing to one specific house church. You got to know that unlike today where we have separate buildings for our churches, the churches of that day met in people's homes. That's where the church would meet. And this, this elect lady that we're going to read about in second John is clearly, in my opinion, um, in reference to the church. It just happens to meet in this home, a female, um, 
derivative is not uncommon to describe the church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? The church is referred to as a she by Peter in his epistle. It's not an unusual um, pronoun to use or description to use of the church to describe her as an elect of the elect lady. So it's my belief that this is written to a house church, and this church has a particular problem. And it's that problem that John wants to address. Years ago, when I came to to Tomoka, I spent a lot of time understanding that I was a great boss, I was a great manager, I just wasn't a very good leader, which was a revelation uh, of humility to me, because I always thought I was a great leader. It turned out I was a really, really good boss. I was a great manager of people, but when it came to learning how to be a leader, I had to learn how to do that. And so I dove into trying to learn how to be a good leader. And one of the things I learned along the way of leadership is this principle, that to be a good leader, you have to learn to distinguish between what is a tension, everybody say tension, and a problem. Everybody say problem. The difference between a tension and a problem. For example, I've been married a long time. I'm not very good at it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because I, for years, believed that everything in a marriage was a problem. Anybody relate to that? Some of you are embarrassed to say so. I can feel your kindred spirit, right? Like, if there's an issue, you don't want to go to bed till it's resolved. You guys are cowards. I know you. I know you're in this room. I feel you, right? Some of you are the kind of person in a relationship that if there is a problem with the other person, you want it resolved. You don't care if you stay up till two in the morning. You're going to talk it out and get it resolved. Yep. There's others of you that feel differently. You think sleep is a bigger problem than the real problem and you go to sleep. Yeah, amen. Whatever, right? When you have two people in a relationship, whether they're dating, whether they're married, whether they're parents to children, right? If one person thinks everything's a problem and other people distinguish a problem and attention, there's always going to be a problem, right? Good leaders know how to distinguish what is attention, meaning that just because this situation is present, this is always going to be here. Nothing you do is going to take it away, right? Listen, if you're a human being who's getting older, i.e. see after 40, you know that there are some tensions that come with being over 40 years of age, right? Right? Given the alternative, would you rather deal with those tensions or would you rather just get out of here? Please don't answer that because I may have to counsel you, right? But the reality is, as you get over 40, there are just certain things that become evident that are tensions you have to manage. Meaning, you have to eat different, right? Because all of a sudden, your metabolism packs up, leaves, and it never shows up again. Which means you just can't eat carbs and sugar all the time and expect to be thin, right? That's just the tension, Right? As you get older, there are aches and pain. There are some mornings you wake up and you have a bruise on your leg. Where did the bruise come from? I have no idea, right? I went to bed, I was bruise free, now I have a bruise. Listen, those are just realities of getting older. Listen, there are some things that are just tensions. They're gonna be present. If you choose to have a relationship with another human being, it won't be Tension free. Yes or no. Which means not everything is a problem. But there are some things that are a problem that need to be solved. And you can distinguish between a tension and a problem. Because once you solve the problem, it goes away. If it continues to repeat itself, you might be trying to solve a problem that's never going to go away. Because it's just a tension. I want to talk about one of those that I believe exists within the church and has forever. And I think that for our day and age, 
learning that this isn't a problem, but this is a tension that we have to manage well, is going to serve us as a church and as you as an individual well when it comes to what's happening in our world today. So let's read 2 John. There's only 13 verses. Do you guys do you have all 13 of them there, David? So once you guys stand out of respect for God's word, let's read these 13 verses. Again, Paul or John writes this letter to a specific church, a house church in Ephesus. And he writes, to the elder or the elder, to the chosen lady and her children. Now listen, you can do your research and you can find there will be people who will try to tell you who this woman is. Some people said her name was Electus, right? I mean, people go all over the place. It is my belief that he is writing to a church who is the elect lady in Ephesus, a house church. He says, to the chosen lady and her children. John refers to believers as children all throughout the first epistle, right? I write this to you, dear children. John wasn't the father of all of these people, not physically, but he was their spiritual father, meaning they were children, they were part of the church. To the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. Not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the which lives in us, he and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from the God and Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in and of. He goes on to say, it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we one another. And this is that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. And listen, let's be clear. When you don't acknowledge Jesus coming in the flesh, you wipe out everything that Jesus did and stands for as our Savior. If you don't understand that, then I will meet you for coffee or Joe will or Jason will, and we will explain that to you. But acknowledging that Jesus didn't come in the flesh doesn't make him a Savior. He simply makes him a man. And a man can't save you, right? The Bible says he's gone out and those many deceivers have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, what teaching? That Jesus came in the flesh, meaning he is who the Bible predicts. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is your Savior, both God and man. If anybody comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, do not take them into your house. In the Greek, it says the house, meaning the church. There is no place for a welcome for those people who want to teach in the church. We'll get into that in just a minute. Or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Children of your chosen sister... Send their greetings. You can have a seat. So John writes this letter, 13 verses to this house church. And they clearly have a problem, right? And the way the problem worked was this. Preachers, right? These itinerant preachers would go around from village to village, town to town. And they would ask these house churches if they could speak. And then the church would invite them in and they would speak and then the church would basically take care of them. They would give them a place to live. They would give them food. Some of them would even give them money to take care of it. That's why when Paul went to Corinth and he went to all of these places, it says he refused to take their money. And instead he worked as a tent maker so they would not 
uh, struggle with him taking their money. He removed that. Why? Because that was the way it worked. Itinerant preachers went around preaching to these villages, to these towns, and to these churches. And the church would welcome them in. They would teach them. And then they would create converts or disciples. That's how Paul started the church at Ephesus. He went to Ephesus and he began to preach. And he began to teach in their synagogues and in their towns as an itinerant preacher. And people came to faith in the, in the, in the Christ, the Savior that Paul talked about. He would establish the churches. He would set up elders. Or he would send Titus in to do the work or Timothy to do, to do the work. And then he would go to the next town. Well, what happened was once Paul left, other itinerant preachers would come in and they would ask to speak at these churches. And the churches, which were mainly made up of Jewish people, practiced hospitality and didn't want to turn anybody away. And so they would say, sure, come on in and speak. And unfortunately, what began to happen in these churches that Paul started was all of these false teachers began to come in and undermine the teaching of Paul and of Peter and of John. And they began to pull converts away from the truth. John writes this letter, as Paul wrote many of his letters, as Peter wrote his letters, to combat the results of false teaching. Here's the false teaching, 1 John 2. John already addressed it. Dear children, again writing to Christian people, he says, this is the last hour. Listen, the day that Jesus died, was buried, was crucified, was buried and rose again, and then ascended, we began the last hour. This is the last hour, meaning this is the last age. The church age is the last age before the end of the age, right? This is it. We're in the last hour. He says, and as, if you, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, listen, at the end of this last hour, when we get to the last age or to the end of the age, listen, the Antichrist is coming. We talked about that, right? He says, even now, though, in the last age, many Antichrist have come. They're already out here. And what is an Antichrist? This is how we know it's the last hour because these deceivers are out. These deceivers, he says, went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. He goes on in 1 John chapter 4 and he explains. Again, at the heart of what was happening was a false teaching that was saying Jesus was not the incarnate word of God. He did not come in the flesh. That Jesus was simply a man born of Joseph of Mary, but he was not God in the flesh. Listen, when you remove the deity of Jesus from the work of Jesus on the cross and out of the tomb, you don't have a savior. It's an impossibility. Which means you're going to need a savior. And at the end of the day, Satan only wants to be God. And he's okay with you finding your own savior. Because guess what? You and I can't. That false teaching has been permeated forever in many, many different forms. Right? It is a, it is a, listen, it's happening today. It's been happening forever. It happened back then. Which is why so many of what, So many of the letters that the gospel writers and that the other writers write are so prevalent or or relevant to us today is because it's the same struggle. Because why? We have the same enemy with the same goal. And that is to get you not to believe in Jesus. Because if you believe in Jesus, Jesus, you'll worship God. And Satan wants to be worshipped as God. So he wants to help you find another savior. That's what was happening, right? So John writes this letter. Into that environment. Let me ask you a question, church, everybody online. Do you think that there's false teaching going on in churches today? Right? Do you think... And so let's be clear about this, okay? I've been a Christian now for 40 years. I've been in ministry for almost 30. And here's what I know. People come to church and then they disappear from church. You know anybody like that? And then they've been disappeared for a while and they come back to church. John's not talking about those people, okay? John's talking very specifically about a group of people that came into your church 
said they were a part of your church, and then they left your church and began to teach a different gospel. He says those people said they were of us, left us because they never belonged to us. I'm not talking about people like your children and my children who were raised in the church, went to children's ministry, were baptized, went to camp, did VBS, may have served on a mission field, and then in their 20s have a hiatus because they're not sure what they believe anymore, and they're raging college students buying into the social, the, the social narrative, right? And then eventually they, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about false teachers. Come in. And leave and take people with them because they're teaching a different gospel than the one that Jesus is your savior. Does that make sense to you? So don't talk, listen, don't be talking about people that have come to church and left church and, and say, well, I, I heard Pastor Court say they didn't, they never belonged to us. They were never ever saved. Not the same thing. We're not talking about the same thing, right? This is a very specific problem. There are people sitting in our church. Listen. It's hard to believe, but there are people watching online and there are people sitting in our church every time we gather that are false teachers. Don't believe what we say. And I know it's true and Joe knows it's true and Ben and David know it's true because we hear from the people going, hey, I had a conversation today with so-and-so and they were telling me that blah, 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 blah. You need to watch this YouTube link. Let me send it to you because... I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but it sounds pretty good to me. That kind of stuff happens every single time the church gathers, right? And the goal of the false teacher is to create a follower. Because a follower ultimately worships something. That's ultimately what the devil wants, right? He wants to be God. How can you be God if nobody worships you? Well, send out your false teachers, send out your deceivers and your antichrist and go to a place where they're already, already moved to follow something. Just give them something different to follow. Don't go out and try to find new followers. Go into the churches where their minds are already geared toward. We're going to worship something. We're going to follow something and give them a false teaching. It happens all the time, right? Now, Paul gives... I'm, I'm gonna, I want to break this down into two, just two separate thoughts, okay? And here's the first one. The truth and love tension. Truth and love tension. Let me just read some scriptures, right? I'm just going to read some scriptures. You can skip that second John passage there and go right into John 14, David. I'm going to read, I'm going to read four scriptures and then we're going to have a conversation about it, right? You can read this with me if you want to. It's a very familiar verse, right? You read it online. Jesus answered, I am the And I am the, and I am the, and no one comes to the father except through me. And everybody said, amen, man. What a, what an awesome passage. How about this one? John 8, 31 and 32 to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the, and the will set you. And everybody said, Amen, man. Amen. How about this one? First John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And everybody said, Amen. How about verse 16? And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us because God is love. God is love. Listen, there are two distinct things in Scripture. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Right? The Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Right? There are a lot of you in here, a lot of you watched online, that to you the most important thing the church does is truth. Can I hear you? Can I hear the truth people in here say amen? Right? And then there are those of you that the part of God that really resounds with you and the part that you love to hear talked about and preached about is that God is Love. Let me hear my, let me hear my people that love God as love. Right? And here's the thing. Forever in the church, we have taught that those two things are separate. That they are a dichotomy. That they are not the same side. Or they are not different sides of the same coin. They are two completely coins whatsoever. When I went to Bible college in 1980, I went to a college that believed that truth and error was the only thing that mattered. 
And I walked away from that college with a four-year degree and a diploma and this knowledge that you've got to know the truth of Scripture. And they ingrained it in us for four years. Unfortunately, what they did not teach us was that the two million people who lived in the St. Louis County area needed to be loved as well. Right? Then I got into ministry and eventually the ministry changed from being churches about truth. And all of a sudden we became seeker friendly churches. Anybody remember that great phenomenon? Right? And the whole idea was we want to do everything possible to make sure that everybody out there knows that the most important thing is that God loves you and we love you and everybody's welcome. And then what we started doing was letting non-believers play on the worship team. We let non-believers be youth partners because we didn't want anybody to ever feel discriminated against because we were seeker-friendly because God is... We always teach them separate. Such a huge mistake. Because truth and love in God's economy go hand in hand. You can't separate them. You see, we separate them, right? Just... The, you and I are smart enough to know we separate them. Think about your human relationships. Think about how your love that you give to another person is based on truth. And if you don't get truth, if you don't get somebody living out truth, you withhold your love from them. You want to know why people hate marriage? It's because of that. Listen, every, anybody in here, anybody watching online that wants to be alone, right? Everybody hates being lonely and alone. Listen, what in the world can be wrong with being in, a, being in a loving relationship with another person that you can share the responsibilities and duties of life with, to experience the highs and the lows with, somebody who's willing to, to walk with you and encourage you and love you? What in the world can be wrong with that? Apparently, based upon the divorce rates, lots of things can be wrong with that. Right? The average first marriage doesn't even make it seven years. And the average first marriage doesn't make it seven years. And over half of them fail. And over 60% of second marriages fail. And over 70% of third marriages fail. For something that we also desire, we're also very, very poor at it. And here's why. Because we make our love conditional upon somebody's performance. We always do. Why wouldn't our children grow up afraid that we would treat them the same way when they, we watch, we, they watch us treat others in our life that way? And we tell our kids, oh, honey, listen, whatever you do, I'm going to always love you. And yet they watched you not do that with their dad or their mom or their grandma or their grandpa or their aunt or their uncle or the neighbor or your co-worker. They watch you demonstrate love has to be earned based upon a performance. And then you tell your child, I'm going to love you no matter what. Children aren't stupid. They're really, really intuitive and pick up on that, right? But here's the problem. In the church world... God doesn't separate those two. And the reason why so many of us as Christians struggle with God's love is because we're so geared to know that, hey, yesterday I was a complete fool as a Christian. I struggled, right? I didn't live out my faith well. I let my flesh win. And maybe it wasn't a day. Maybe it was a week. Maybe it was a month. Maybe it's been the last two years. And now because of what you've been conditioned to from the human side, we have a hard time believing that God loves us in spite of that. And here's my question. Once you lose the trust, how in the world do you ever get it back? How much work do you got to do to get it back? And eventually, if that's what you believe about God, you're going to have a hard time ever coming back to church. You see, there's a tension in the church world between love and truth. The problem is, we think it's a problem. You either got to be a church that stands on truth, or you got to be a church that accepts everybody. You can't do both. Why can't you? I think you can do both. And I think we can learn to do both really, really, really well. Here's what, first, here's what John 1.14 says. John 1.14 says this. The word became flesh. That's Jesus became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We've seen him with his glory. The glory of the one and only. Who, became, who came from the Father full of what? 
He came full of grace and truth. He came from the Father that way. We were born of the Father. Why can't we come from the Father full of what? Right? And those Greek words, grace and truth, are exactly in that order in the Greek language. Right? That's how they come. Here's what Scripture also says. It says in, in I'm going to read a couple passages, Ephesians 4. He says, then we will no longer be infants, talking to the church, Right? When the church does what it's supposed to do and serve other people, he says, we won't be infants. We won't be tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of doctrine, right? Or every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, he says, speaking the what? In what? Right? Listen, it's possible for our speech to be full of truth and love. We don't have to, we don't have to have one or the other. Right? I mean, you guys all know people and you may be that person. Who's the person that says, listen, I just tell it like it is. Anybody know those people? Right? I had a sister that was that way and she always found it commendable that her, that her compliment to herself was, listen, you can just count on me to tell you the truth. Why is it when you tell the truth, you have to be a jerk about it? Right? Is it possible to speak truth in love? Yes or no? Of course, because they're not separate things. Ephesians, first Peter says this, first Peter chapter one says this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the, so that you have sincere, right? See, truth and love aren't separated. They're never separated in scripture and they weren't separated by what John said. David, go back to second John there in verse one. Listen to what John says about this, this truth, this truth and love thing, right? Skip to verse 3, right? So here's what John says, starting in verse 3 of Second John. He says, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. He says this, it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the what? Now listen, John... John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Everybody knows that, right? John is, a, is the apostle of love. And yet 37 times, everybody say 37, 37 times John uses the word truth. More than any other gospel writer, he uses the word aletheia, truth, 37 times. He says, it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've heard from the beginning. Listen to this. I ask, here's the command. (coughs) Here's the truth. I'm asking that we what? Love one another. And this is love. Now he's going to define it. That we walk in obedience to the truth. So he says, I'm glad to hear you walking in the truth. What is truth? The truth is, I want you to love one another. And how do I know that you're walking in the truth? Is that you're keeping the command to love one another. Does truth and love sound separated to you? No. And yet we have a hard time with it. We have such a hard time in the church knowing, how do we take a stand for truth and yet love people who don't believe in the same truth that we do? Anybody ever struggle with that? Of course, lots of people do. And if you don't think you do, my guess is you probably do. Right? There is a tension in the church between truth and love. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, no outward symbol of connecting me to Christ has any value. What has value? The only thing that counts is my faith expressing itself through and why love? Because love obeys the commands. And what is the command? That you love one another. You see the circle, right? The circle is truth and love work together. And as we're maturing in Christ, that circle is widening. And our truth is growing, but our love is growing because we're being purified by truth to a sincere love for one another. That's what happens as we mature in Christ. Do you recognize that tension in, in, in the church between truth and love? Absolutely. There's also a problem in the church because in verse 7, he changes the entire narrative. And here's what he says in verse 7 for the truth and love problem. He says, many deceivers who don't acknowledge Jesus as Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone into the world. 
Listen, here's the problem. If you and I don't get the love truth thing down, the deceivers that are going out into the world are going to have a window to get into your church. Think about this with me. You're a church that believes in the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. And we say, amen, right? But you struggle with the love part because you believe that truth is the number one thing that matters. It's not going to be complicated for a false teacher to come in and find people who are dying in the truth and just need to be what? Loved. Do you know how easy it is for a false teacher to come in and preach a gospel of love to a truth that the only thing they ever talk about is truth, 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 truth? That's really simple. And picture yourself as a seeker-friendly church. And the only thing you care about is getting along with people. I just want people to feel welcome no matter what. We're going to make people feel welcome. We're going to make sure that people feel loved. We want people to belong before they believe. We want them to be comfortable. We want all of that stuff. And if you're a church that focuses on love, do you know how easy it is for a false teacher to come in and teach a hard truth, even if it's a wrong truth, and pull people away? You see, the problem is, if you don't find out how to manage the real tension between truth and love, you open yourself up to false teachers. Look what John says to this church. Bring those, go to second, or go to second John there, verse seven. Right? Go out to the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Here's what he tells them. Everybody read those first two words with me. Everybody online. Everybody here read those first two words. Watch out. Listen, there is a love Truth problem. If the love-truth tension isn't managed well, there becomes a love-truth problem. Because you're a church that's all about love, and you don't really care about truth, and you've opened yourself up to those false teachers. Any truth will do. Just give me somebody that'll take a stand, and I'll follow that person. And listen, Satan's really good at giving hard truths, even if they're not true. Right? And imagine yourself as a church that stands on nothing but the truth and people need to be loved. And a false teacher comes and talks about a God who simply loves them the way they are. We just accept you for who you are. We'll love you. He says you better watch out. If you don't have a proper balance of love and truth, you better watch out that you don't lose what you have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. Do you know that churches lose people every single week to false teachers because we don't know how to manage the love-truth tension? All the time. Do you, know, do you want to know why lots of teens and young adults are leaving the church? Because we haven't figured out the balance. They, they, they're smart enough to know they should be a balance between the two. And you get to a point where they just need some balance. Because I don't know if you know, if you know many teenagers or many young adults, but they live in a world where they make a lot of bad choices. And you know what people who make bad choices need? Love and truth. But they can't find it in the church world. So 64% of 18 and 29 year olds who grew up in the church are looking for God outside the church. That statistic stuns me. Why? Because we haven't figured it out. So he said, you better watch out because you're going to lose what you've gained. We're going to start losing people. The reason churches are losing people isn't because they're not standing on enough truth or they don't love enough. It's because they've separated the two and one's got to be greater than another. They're one and the same. They go hand in hand. There's no distinction between the two. If you know truth, you love. And if you love... You obey the truth because my command is this, that you love one another. John goes on to write this. He says, don't just watch out. He says, anyone who runs ahead and doesn't continue in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. Leave that right there. Bring that verse back up. Anyone who runs ahead, it's the Greek word for going outside of the boundary. It's the idea of presenting something. Listen to me. Presenting something that's progressive. Hear any progressive teachings lately? Right? And you know why progressive teachings work? Because the church doesn't know how to balance love and truth. And so a progressive teaching might be more, more deeper truth. Or it might be greater love. And people are flocking to one or the other. Meanwhile, the church that actually has the message of truth and actually knows the definition of love hasn't figured out how to do it right. And people just keep leaving. we got to figure it out. We got to learn how to figure those two things out, right? And he says this, anyone go and bring that next verse up, right? Listen, I can tell you this right now. It's my last one. I'm going to finish this, right? So listen, if you're a parent, you got to go get your kid. Fine. Grab him. If you need to come back in, sit way over there in the corner, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? 
Whoever Listen to this. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone, listen to this, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, what teaching? That Jesus, that Jesus is God incarnate, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world who died on that cross, was buried in that tomb, and rose on the third day. If they do not bring that teaching, he says, do not Take him into the house, the church, or welcome him there. Is it, Meg, are you giving me the stink eye? <laughs> I said that about finish it next thing. You know, children's ministry shows up in the back door. It's like, right? Listen. This was a hard thing for Jewish people because Jewish tradition taught hospitality above all things. And now they're being told there is a place where false teachers aren't welcome. That's here. You know what I love most about our elders? Here's what I love most about our elders. Because our elders will never let false teaching on this stage. Listen, we have elders that listen and who text us and question us about what we say. And listen, that's why Joe, listen, this is why Joe says every week, listen, don't trust what we say, get in your word and study it. Right? Because there is a place for hospitality. But in the church of God, we don't welcome those people here. We've said no to multiple people who've offered to come and speak. I get people who call me all the time. I want to lead a class. I want to teach a class. Can I come on the weekend? Would you be willing? And listen, my job, part of my job is to vet that because I want to know, are you going to teach the truth? When we hire a pastor, one of the things we go through is, listen, let's talk about your theology because you're going to have access to a lot of people, right? And I know it's annoying to people, but the reality is we've got to safeguard the truth in the church of Jesus. Because look what he says in verse 11. Anyone who welcomes that person, what person? Listen to me, the person that doesn't want to teach that Jesus is the ultimate truth. He says, anyone who doesn't want to teach him that, but welcomes these people in, shares in the wicked work. Listen, you and I as a church have got to get this love truth thing down because it's the only thing that will protect us from false teachers. Knowing the truth will not be enough to keep false teachers out if we don't learn to love the way Jesus loved. And loving the way Jesus loved without standing on the truth will not be enough to keep false teachers out if we don't know how to love right. We've got to find the balance. So let me leave you with these two thoughts. My, my buddy asked me, what's the sweet spot? Well, here's the sweet spot. You've got to define the truth. You've got to define the truth. Okay. So let's, let's walk through this real quickly. I don't know if you've read your Bible, but there are millions of truths in Scripture. Would you agree with that? They're everywhere, right? Let's just pick one. Let's just pick one based upon our world today, right? God, right, is pro-life. Yes or no? Absolutely, right? God is the author and the giver of life. It is clear that the truth of scripture is God opposes abortion. Right? Now here's what I want you to understand. That truth, along with a million other truths, are a place where Christians have to take a stand. Yes or no? Well, let me ask you a question. Is that truth, is the truth of knowing that God is pro-life and against abortion and believing in that truth, is that going to get you to heaven? Come on, say it. You Don't hesitate on me when you know the answer, even though I'm setting you up, okay? Is knowing that God is pro-life and against abortion going to get you into heaven? No. Is knowing Jesus and accepting him going to? What you and I have to do is get the order of truth right. See, here's the problem. We've made all these other conditions. Now, I'm going to preach here for a minute, right? We've made all these other conditions a prerequisite for getting loved. Listen, you've got to be pro-life. You've got to be against gay marriage. You've got to stand against CRT. You've got to be against LGTBQ+. You've got to have those places. And if you are in that same boat, you're going to get my love. 
The problem is this. The only truth that defines my eternity is knowing Jesus. And if you can clap for that. Listen, we've got to get, and listen, I'm telling you, if you broaden your base of truth to where you define truth as you've got to believe in a God of creation of six days, and you've got to believe in a young earth and not an old earth, and you've got to believe in communion has to be with this, and you can't have that, and preachers should wear this, and they shouldn't say that. Listen, if you broaden your truth to the base where your love is predicated in all of that truth, do you know how many people you're going to end up loving? Maybe one. And according to statistics, you'll divorce them within seven years, right? You see, that's the problem with the church. The church are there a million truths of God? Absolutely. But when the blind man found his sight, and he asked other people, "Do you want to be a disciple too?" They asked him, "What's his name?" And he said, "I don't know his name." But I was once blind and now I see. And that was the only thing he had to be called a disciple. That's the only truth that matters, church. Are the other other truths important? Absolutely. But not as a prerequisite for getting into the love that we're supposed to give them from God. The only prerequisite is Jesus. Listen, there are two words in scripture to define my Christian life. Standing and walking. Listen. If you don't know where to stand, if this book doesn't teach you where to stand on issues of life, you're going to jump back and forth between them all the time, depending on who you listen to and how good the video is. Changing our opinion all the time. Listen, there are things we want to stand on. I stand on the fact that God is pro-life. I stand on the fact that God is against abortion. I stand on the fact that God is for heterosexual relations in marriage. I stand on those things because I've got to know what God's truth is. But none of those are prerequisites of me demonstrating God's love toward that person. Only one truth stands out above all truths, and it has to be the only truth that determines me acting in love. And that is this. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Every other truth can be taught. Every other truth can be learned. Because what Jesus says is this. You've got to learn how to walk in love. How are you going to walk in love if your definition of truth is you've got to believe in these 14 things before you're ever going to be included in this? And you want to know what happens? Nobody wants to buy it. How I'm 58 years old. How am I going to get my 19-year-old daughter to believe in the same truth I believe in? I was 19 once. The stuff that my dad believed in was stupid. Right? I believe in a... I believe in a... I believe in a quiet night and I believe in no partying and I believe in simple food and I don't want a bunch of people. My daughter's 19. She believes in staying out till two, hanging with her friends. She believes in spending every dime she has. She believes in all of those things. We're never going to agree about that. And here's the thing. We do that with church stuff too. You got to have this down, 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 and you got to have this down, this down, this down, this down, this down, and that means you're a part of us. No. Do you know how many people in this room right now, and how many people watch on Light Rail have a different opinion about gay marriage in our church? Do you know how many people in our church have a different opinion about pro-life? Do you know how many people in our church are Democrats and not? Republicans and how many Republicans are Democrats? We have lots of different opinions in here. And you know what? The only truth that matters is, do you know Jesus? That's why the Bible says, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to absorb the all I command you. The reason why I love Wednesday nights, the reason I love Saturday night in that room, the reason like I, the reason I love my two small groups, the reason why I teach four times a week is because what I, what I know God's called me to do is to teach everything that God's commanded. It's, it's what God's gifted me to do. I'm not right about everything, but I'll tell you what, if I'm not right, I'll learn it. And I know that God's gifted me to teach because guess what? We've got a lot of stuff to learn because when I came to Christ, I didn't believe, I didn't believe 90% of the stuff that was in here. Asked me to talk about creation. All I knew was what what school taught me. And that was dinosaurs are 48 million years old. Right? 
Listen, if I had to believe in that before I came to Jesus, I'd have been in trouble. Amen. Listen, I need to know where to stand, right? Listen, don't tell me, don't tell me about your faith in Christ growing if you're not studying the word of God. Because listen, you've got to know where to stand. And if you're listening to the world and YouTube videos and all of this stuff more than you reading the word and studying it, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be tossed back and forth. Listen, and, you, and it's going to happen, right? That stuff, you've got to learn how to stand. Because the Bible says when you've done everything that you can do, you need to stand. Right? You've got to be able to stand. But love requires walking. So you've got to define truth and you've got to demonstrate love. But the truth has got to be narrowed down to one thing, one thing only for entrance into the demonstration. Do you know Jesus? Listen, it's not hard to find a balance between truth and love if you make truth about one thing. That's not complicated at all. But if you make truth about 48 million things... We're prone as human beings to make getting, your, getting my love a really difficult thing. Listen, there's not everything that people do that make me awkward. There are some things that would come into our church that I would feel probably a little bit uncomfortable about. But would I have any problem demonstrating love to that person? Zero. Because the only truth I care about is do they know Jesus? People tell me all the time. Listen, I'm the guy on the staff that if there's a problem, call Pastor Cord. He'll have the conversation. He'll do this. He likes confrontation. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So I get all of those fun conversations. Right? And here's the thing. None of them bother me. None of them upset me. Because guess what? We're walking. We're walking. We're walking. We're learning how to be like Jesus in this world. Amen? And it's not perfect. And we're figuring it out. But guess what? Do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Is that the truth that will get me into heaven? 100%. Do I know where to stand? I'm learning it. Right? But do I know how to demonstrate the love that God has for other people? Listen, until you can learn to do that with yourself, you're never going to be able to give that away to other people. Right? And the Bible says this, you better learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you better learn to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't know how to rectify this in your own life, you're going to have a hard time giving it away. We have a real love-truth tension in the church. And if we don't learn how to manage it, the love-truth problem is going to open the door for false teachers. And I don't know if you've read stuff lately and watched stuff lately, but false teachers abound. They are after the sheep because we are closing in on the last of the last hour. We've got to protect ourselves, and we've got to protect the, the, the progress we've made so that we don't lose people. How do we do it? We don't batten down the hatches. We just learn to figure out love and truth the right way. Does that make sense to you, church? Right? That's Paul's message to that church. i got one verse I want to read at the end. Go to that very last verse. 1 John 4.16. 1 John 4.16 says this, And so we know, and we rely on the what? The love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. There's no tension in scripture between truth and love. None whatsoever. So we get to end tonight, get to end our time together in an amazing way. We get to celebrate a baptism. So would you guys turn your attention over there?